Well, good morning, everybody. It is really good to see you today. Uh, if you got kids, you've probably been there, right? Are we there yet? No, please go back to sleep uh, or w- watch the tablet or something. Uh, we are starting a brand new series today. It's our Christmas series. Uh, we've called it uh, Far From Home. And what I want to do to begin this morning is I want to look at uh, some, maybe some surprising facts uh, about Christmas. First, did you know that uh, for the Christmas season, uh, approximately 45 million Americans are going to jump into an airplane and go travel for Christmas? That, that number, 45 million, that is astonishing. That's like 14% of the population of the United States. That's an insane number to me. Another, another fact, maybe you know this, maybe you don't. Christmas Day at the Magic Kingdom uh, down in in Orlando is the busiest day at any theme park in the world. Over 120,000 people, according to Disney, are going to pack in to the teacups, onto Space Mountain, onto uh, the Pirates of the Caribbean on December the 25th alone. Outside estimates uh, suggest that it might be closer to 150,000 people at Disney World on Christmas. Last fun fact. Way back in 1943, a guy named Kim Gannon wrote a, a song that was made famous by Bing Crosby. All right, And it's, it's become kind of a Christmas standard. The song is I'll Be Home for Christmas, and it's one of the most played songs in history. But did you know that it's written from the perspective of a World War II soldier who is writing home to tell his family, I'll be home for Christmas, so be ready. Of course, you, you probably know the song. You know that you know, the, the song kind of ends with that melancholy lyric, I'll be home for Christmas if only in my dreams. What is it about Christmas that has us so fixated on getting back to our loved ones? Have you ever noticed that uh, lots and lots and lots of Christmas movies have precisely this plot or precisely this theme? In Christmas with the Cranks, Blair has gone off to join the Peace Corps or her parents, Luther and Nora, played by Tim Allen and Jamie Lee Curtis. They decide that they're going to skip Christmas. They're not going to put up a tree. They're not going to hang lights. They're not going to buy the honey-baked ham. They're going on a cruise, which sounds amazing to me. But then they get a telephone call, and, and they find out Blair is coming home for Christmas. And not only that, she's bringing her fiancé. And so the rest of the movie is them trying to get things ready so Blair doesn't find out they were going to skip Christmas. In Christmas Vacation, the entire Griswold house is turned upside down in the blink of an eye. Both Helen and Clark's parents show up at exactly the same moment. They displace the kids from their bedrooms. And then to top it off, Cousin Eddie shows up in the RV with his clan of misfits. And of course, the beloved dog, Snot. Then we got the movie Elf, right? Elf is a story of Buddy the human who grows up at the North Pole, raised by elves, but he leaves the North Pole and he heads to New York City so that he might be reunited with his biological father. 
Then there's the McAllister family. They pack up and they leave Chicago and they head for Paris so that they can spend the holiday with Uncle Rob and Aunt Georgette, only to find that they are one eight-year-old short in Home Alone. So Pete and Kate move heaven and earth. They pull out all the stops in order to get home to sweet, innocent little Kevin. And then we have arguably the greatest Christmas movie of all time. It it revolves around a New York City police officer who travels to Los Angeles to visit with his estranged wife and kids, and he finds himself in the middle of a heist at Nakatomi Towers. Yes, I'm talking about Die Hard. Uh, And yes... It's, it's, it's Christmas time, and, and we seem so fixated on the idea of getting back to our loved ones, on, on getting back to our families. Why is that? Doesn't that seem a little bit strange to you? And, and maybe, you're, maybe you're the, that seems odd, maybe it, it, it doesn't seem strange, whatever. But here's the thing. Most people spend the majority of the year dodging family gatherings and avoiding calls from distant relatives. But at Christmas time, millions of people are going to hop in a plane and take to the skies. They're going to face unruly crowds. They're going to wait in long lines. And they are going to treasure the chance to be home with their families. Why do you suppose that that is? The short answer is, in, in my opinion, I think that God put a longing in our hearts that reflects his own. God is part of a loving family called the Trinity, or if you see it in the scriptures, it's called the Godhead, where each member perfectly expresses love and devotion towards the others. Writing for the Gospel Coalition website, Jared Wilson sums it up, I think, perfectly. He says this. He says, a solitary God cannot be love. He may learn to love, he may yearn to love, but he cannot himself be loved since love requires an object. Real love requires relationship. In the doctrine of the Trinity, we finally see how love is a part of the fabric of creation. It's essential to the eternal need-nothing creator. From eternity past, the Father and the Son and the Spirit have been in community in relationship. They have loved each other. That loving relationship is bound up in the very nature of God himself. If God were not a trinity, but merely a solitary divinity, he could neither be love nor be God. I think our longing for family at Christmas is a reflection of God's design for his creation and his desire for us to experience the kind of community that we were made for. The thing is, if you were to say this to the average person living outside of our little Christian uh, bubble, you'd probably receive a fair amount of criticism and skepticism. See, God hasn't always gotten uh, a very fair shake World religions have viewed God as ferocious, mystical, fickle, and even maniacal. And to be fair, there are places in the Old Testament where God has been depicted as a violent wind and an all-consuming fire. And depictions like this have 
have caused confusion for some. Throughout history, sinful men have avoided God, dreaded God, even sought to appease God, but never in our wildest dreams did we ever consider that God would show up, that he would enter into the world as a baby. John chapter 1 verse 14 says, The word became flesh and dwelt among us. Think about that. God made his dwelling with men, which begs the question, why such a journey? Why leave heaven? Why put on flesh? Why slide down the birth canal? Why put up with all the hassle? We've already said that we have a longing in our hearts for meaningful relationships, but God coming to earth reveals something that I think is is important for us to consider, and that is this. God wants us to know that he gets us. He understands how we feel, and he's faced what we face. Think about it. If you've ever asked, does God care if I'm sad? Look at the tear-filled eyes of Jesus as he stands near Lazarus' tomb. If you've ever wondered, does God notice if I'm filled with with, uh, worry or fear? Don't miss the resolve on the face of Jesus as he walks the waves to rescue his friends. If you've ever questioned, does God know if I'm ignored or rejected? Don't miss the compassionate gaze of Jesus as he rises to defend the woman caught in the act of adultery. Jesus made the journey from his heavenly home so that we might have hope in our earthly one. That's what Christmas is. Christmas is a time for hope. At the very beginning of the New Testament, Jesus was called Emmanuel, and Matthew explains to us that this means God with us. Now, we sing this, you know, when we're maybe drinking hot chocolate or making Christmas cookies, but do we appreciate the implications or the gravity of what that means? This isn't just God knows us, God sees us, God is aware of us, but God with us. God right where we are. In crowded stores, at poorly run offices, in the stress of a dysfunctional family. Jesus breathed our air, he climbed our mountains, and he descended into our valleys. He stood up for the oppressed and he pointed the way to the Father. He didn't just tell us how to live, he showed us day after day after day. Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us. And I don't know about you, But God with us is a message that I feel like we desperately need in 2021. The church father, Tertullian, he said that uh, hope is patience with the lamp lit. or, Or patience coupled with ready anticipation. Christmas reminds us that God knows what it's like to be human. When we're overwhelmed with deadlines, waiting in long lines, or when we just don't seem to have enough time, he gets it. He's been there because he's been 
here? Do you believe that? Do you believe that the God who made you can relate to you? And if you believe that, that begs an even bigger question. Why? Why would he go to the trouble of relating to us? Why would the creator of all things, the one who hung the stars in the skies, why would he want to go to the trouble of relating to you and to me? J.I. Packer writes, the Christmas message is that there is hope for a ruined humanity, hope of a pardon, hope of peace with God, hope of glory, because at the Father's will, Jesus became poor and was born in a stable so that 30 years later he might hang on a cross. At Christmas, we must strive, struggle to remember that each of us entered into this world with a bent towards sin, but Jesus entered, this, entered into this world to straighten things out. In his famous book, Mere Christianity, C.S. Lewis writes, Christianity is the story of how the rightful king has landed, you might say landed in disguise, and is calling us to take part in a great campaign of sabotage. What we see throughout the scriptures is humanity being dragged further and further and further from God and deeper and deeper into the grips of bondage and slavery. Don't miss this. God created us, you and me. He created us for a lifelong relationship with him. You're wired for it and so am I. But sin has done nothing but lure us away from the sweetness and security of our heavenly family. The prophets of the Old Testament, they, they longed for the day of their rescue. Humanity, you and I, have been carried away, off behind enemy lines, and we too are in need of rescue. Which is why Matthew included these words from the angel to Joseph in his gospel. He says this in Matthew chapter 1, verse 21. He says, she, talking about Mary, will give birth to a son, and you are to give them the name Jesus, because he will save his people from their sins. Max Licato writes, Jesus was not just godly, God-like, God-hungry, God-focused, or God-worshipping. He was God. Not merely a servant of God, instrument of God, or a friend of God. Jesus was God. And God saves. Not God empathizes, cares, listens, helps, assists, or applauds. God saves. Christmas is a time of hope because the people of God have longed for hundreds and hundreds of years for rescue and rescue had finally arrived. 700 years before Jesus was born, Isaiah recorded the words of the Lord like this. He says this in Isaiah 46, beginning in verse 3. It says, listen to me, you descendants of Jacob, all the remnant of the people of Israel, you whom I have upheld since your birth and have carried since you were born. Even to your old age and gray hairs, I am he. I am he who will sustain you. I have made you and I will carry you. I will sustain you 
and I will rescue you. With the words of Isaiah ringing in his ears, Paul writes, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. We were created to be a part of an intimate relationship, which is why our hearts, I think, yearn for our families at Christmas We are merely reflecting the qualities God infused in us because he knows what it's like to be in a perfectly intimate relationship. But sin entered the picture, drug us off, and imprisoned us behind enemy lines. And rather than writing us off or tuning us out, God put on flesh, left his home, and made his dwelling among us. He didn't stop with showing us how to live. Jesus died so that we might have a life. The baby in the barn became the king on the cross. Jesus paid sin's penalty, but he also stripped sin of its power in our lives. So you and I, we have a reason to hope. God gets us. He humbled himself and he put on flesh so that we would never forget that we are loved, and that we have a place to belong with him. Christmas is a time where we remember that God pursued us, a time set aside to celebrate Jesus' coming. And with that in mind, I've got just one single question that I want to toss your way as we wrap things up this morning. If you knew Jesus was coming again tomorrow, what would you do with the rest of today? If you knew Jesus was making a second visit, right? And, and he was all packed up, his car was all gassed up, and tomorrow he'd be showing back up. What would the rest of your today look like? Would your tweets or your posts take on a different tone? Would your words be a little sweeter? Would we be quicker to listen and slower to speak? Would we let go of some old grudges or pick up the phone and offer some much-needed apologies? Would we turn off the TV and go see a friend? Would we pick up our Bible and read it really closely? Would we pray for somebody that we knew really, really needed it? If you knew Jesus was coming again tomorrow, what would you do with the rest of today? The best advice I think that I could give you is to live today in such a way that you are ready for tomorrow. Prepare for Jesus' coming. And if that means your attitude, your schedule, or your company needs to change, so be it. A couple Fridays ago, Amanda and I, we were were kid-free, so we had some friends over uh, to play some games. And as they're coming in the house, we were deeply apologetic. We're like, oh, we're so sorry. The house is such a wreck. This is just what it looks like when you have a three-year-old. Please forgive us. Can I be honest with you? Our house was the cleanest that it had been in like three and a half weeks. 
All right, you just say something sometimes. And, and, but, but, you know, you also, like we kind of figured people would be coming over, and so we prepared. All right, that's just what you do. Have you ever been in Louisville when the president was coming to town? Have you ever been in any city when the president was, was going to be showing up? Uh, if you have, you know how much preparation goes into that visit. Roads get blocked off. Traffic comes to a standstill. Police cruisers uh, with flashing lights and, and blaring sirens are called in to lead long caravans of, of black SUVs and, and limousines. Bomb units uh, canvas entire city blocks with specially trained dogs. And crowds will line up for miles and miles and miles, as, as far as the eye can see sometimes, to greet and in some cases maybe even taunt the commander-in-chief. When this one individual comes to town, it's the result of months and months of preparation made by dozens, if not hundreds of people. His coming is a big deal, and it's treated as such. And I would submit to you this morning that the coming of Jesus, both his first and his second, are infinitely more important. And there's no greater act of preparation that one can make for Jesus' return than to confess and crown him as the king of our lives, to turn from our selfish ways, to follow in his steps by having our sins washed away, being baptized into Christ. Peter tells us that this is not the removal of dirt from the body, but the pledge of a clear conscience toward God. If you've never made Jesus the king of your life, then we invite you to do that today so that you will be ready for anything that comes your way tomorrow. If you'd like to be part of a church family, we'd love to have you. We aren't perfect. You don't have a perfect preacher. You don't have a perfect band. The folks in this room are not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But we love Jesus and we're striving to allow him to perfect us from the inside out. And what we want to, to be, the kind of church family we want to be, the kind of place we want this to be, is the kind of place where you can come and put down roots with people who also love Jesus and allow God to grow us into the likeness of the real Jesus together. Maybe you're here and you're just dealing with life and it's it's knocked you for a loop and you got lots of things going on and, and, and you're struggling. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you. I want you to know that we're here for you. We may not have all the answers, but we know the one who does. And it would be a privilege for us to stand in the gap for you because we believe that that's what Jesus has done for us. And so if you just have life hitting you between the eyes and you want somebody to pray with you, there'll be folks in the back of the room that would love to do just that with you. So whatever your decision might be this morning, we're going to sing one last song and I invite you to do just that. I'm going to pray and then we're going to sing. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, you are such a good God. And we thank you for pursuing us. We thank you for coming after us. We thank you for sending Jesus so that we might have 
hope. Help us to live in such a way that we make a big deal about his coming, that we make a big deal about his sacrifice. Help us to live in such a way that that we radiate Jesus, that our love for him is infectious and others might come to see Jesus and experience him the way that we have. God, you are so good to us. And if there are folks in this room who are on the cusp of some decision, Father, I pray that you will give them boldness. Whatever fears they may have, I pray that you'll just whisper in their ear and, and, and help them to set those aside so that they might respond in whatever manner your spirit is leading them. We love you and we just thank you so much for loving us first. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.